Hello everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. There were a few times over the last year in the podcast where I had mentioned, whoa, we're already in such and such month. Just being surprised, I guess, with how quickly the days have gone by throughout the months. And here we are, we're now in February, and I'm actually surprised. I'm like, well, January, that felt like a month, a good month nonetheless. It didn't feel like one of those blinking, it was gone kind of months like most of 2022 felt. So 2023 seems like we're off to a good start. Of course, those could be famous last words. I mean, yeah, I'm anxious for July because guess he's going to see Madonna. And although that concert is half a year away, I don't mind. Feeling productive so far. Um, okay, I do have to confess, now that we are in February, I did not finish my initial book. But that doesn't mean I just stopped reading it. I am going to finish it. And like I said, I have a second book. That first book is A Boy's Own Story by Edmund White, and apparently it's a a trilogy. Plus, I have a copy of Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation, so at least I'm planned out all the way up to April. But sadly, my tablet is telling me I'm doing a great job of reading there. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled the wedding and debuted on november 6 1978 the episode was written by arthur heineman and directed by michael landon we are back in winoka and as you guessed it it's another busy day we find adam pacing the front porch of the school of the blind and once the opening credits are done he steps inside we get a knock at one of the bedroom doors at which point adam opens the door and enters the room. And he begins to ramble on about how long he has known Mary, about their mutual interest and careers, and his feelings for Mary over the last year. And finally, a proposal, which is greeted by silence. The room is empty. But scratch that. This is Adam's room, and he's just here doing some rehearsing of his proposal He steps across the hallway, knocks on the door, and steps into Mary's room. Upon entering, ready to recreate the scene we've just witnessed, only this time with Mary involved, he pauses, opens his mouth, and declares, I have to go to the post office. He leaves. He walks down the hallway, does a 180, and heads back to Mary's room. And I have to confess, I've missed Mary. P.S. Adam is in need of a haircut trim. Well, Adam starts to speak, and instead of the rehearsed speech we've already witnessed, and he goes to improvise and tells Mary that she needs to give up her room. The school is so busy, they just need extra space. And Mary, where am I going to go? Adam, into my room. Mary, doesn't think that's funny. In your room? And Adam admits it's a marriage proposal. She smiles and calls it the most ridiculous proposal she's ever heard. This coming from a girl who at 14 years old was already engaged 
to a closeted prairie boy named John Jr. Oh, P.S. Of course, she says yes. Cut to Hal Burton coming into Plum Creek really hot. He's arriving at full gallop by his team of horses. Why the urgency? Well, there is a telegraph that has arrived from Mary. Of course, Charles has already read it. And he leaves the surprise for Caroline to read. Laura, Albert, and Carrie come running out of the barn and are also then informed about the upcoming nuptials. With glee, Caroline yells out, My baby's getting married! Off to the side, confused, Carrie inquires, Grace? Oh, Carrie. And the wedding date is August 15th, because they left on the 4th of July. P.S. We're told the wedding is three weeks away. Overcome with happiness, her firstborn is getting married. Caroline is breaking into tears. Charles escorts her inside to have a seat and some tea. Once inside, Carrie announces that she is not going to get married. It makes Ma sad. Laura then has to explain that those tears are from being happy. And once again confused, not surprised, Carrie claims she'll never understand grown-ups. It's okay, Carrie. We didn't understand you for most of the first four seasons. It's late night. Everyone is gathered around the table, and Charles is explaining that if they took the wagon to return to Winoka, they would never make it in time for the wedding. The wedding that is three weeks away. So they have decided to take the train. However, these are the Ingalls, and they can't afford everyone. So it is planned Laura and Albert will stay at the house with Carrie and take care of the house, as well as Baby Grace. Carrie mentions she'll help out with Baby Grace as well, despite the stinky diapers. Caroline, acting like she's never left the children at home before, inquires if Albert and Laura will be alright. They both assure her. We also find out that the Garveys are apparently on a way on vacation, or something. As the scene comes to an end, Caroline tells Laura how proud she is of her for taking this news of being left behind, watching over baby Grace and Carrie. We find ourselves at the mercantile. The Ingalls have come in for a wedding gift. It's a lovely mantle clock, just like the one Mrs. Foster got last episode. Harriet's happenings. With a lovely fake smile, Caroline says the clock is beautiful, but she wants something more practical. Harriet Olson. Oh, I see. It's out of your price range. She then escorts Caroline elsewhere. Meanwhile, Mr. Olson calls Charles into the storage room. He has his own wedding gift for Mary. And it's not really a ballerina music box, but it's a bird chirping box? I have to admit, it is quite lovely. The close-up makes it look very, very, um, intricate. Charles says it's too much. However, Mr. Olson, trying to sound sweet, says, Aw, she's been my pet since the first time she walked into the store. Way back in season one, Country Girls. Mr. Olson continues he wants to keep this between the two of them and not mention it to Harriet. Charles then pulls Mr. Olson in for a nice hug. It's really sweet. We cut to Reverend Alden setting up for service. Charles and Caroline show up. They are all excited for Mary. Caroline shares that Mary would love it if she was married by Reverend Alden. However, her and Adam wouldn't be able to get the time off from work. 
This is when Reverend Alden states that he, at that time, is going to be around Crichton. In the real world, it's located in Nebraska, close to the border of South Dakota. Charles tells him that's a sweet gesture, but it's still a really long distance. However, Reverend Alden will not hear of it. It's something he wants to do, so he's going to try and make it happen. And wow, Reverend Alden gets a kiss from a very joyous Caroline. They all decide to keep it on the DL, just in case circumstances prevent things from working out. We cut to stock footage of a train station, and if memory serves me correctly, this is the Springfield train station. Or at least that's what they called it the last time we saw it at the end of I'll Ride the Wind, season three. Inside the train car, Charles is loading that luggage in the overhead compartment shelf, and Caroline is telling Laura and Albert that if anything bad happens, to send a telegram. We're also told Charles and Caroline will return in a week from Thursday. Oh, how do the kids get home? Mr. Olson's there. As their tickets are punched, Caroline, of course, is concerned about leaving the kids for such a long time. And Charles, well, we can always send Mary and Adam a telegram of congratulations. Caroline promises not to say another word until she does. Charles stops her. That's another word. And the train pulls away from the station. Wow, we even get a shot of this train traveling at night. It's a night train. And at the last leg of their journey, Caroline and Charles are arriving back in Winoka by carriage. They even go past the Hotel Dakota, but no shot of the saloon. They drive through town and they spot Adam and Mary waiting for them outside the post office and telegram station. Ready to hop out of that carriage before it's even come to a complete stop, Caroline is gushing about how beautiful Mary looks, how beautiful Adam looks, because he is. And then out of Charles's mouth, I never thought of you looking beautiful, Adam. And I'm going to say it, that's because he's jealous. As they all continue to stand there and catch up, we're informed that Reverend Corliss is the local reverend and will be marrying the two of them. Adam then inquires what Charles and Caroline would like to do. Caroline, I'd like to freshen up and maybe meet at the school later. And you don't have to wonder where they're going to stay. They're living it up at the Hotel Dakota. And their room is a mess. Nobody has been in to clean it. Not only is the bed completely unmade, there is dust everywhere. Caroline is very unhappy. Charles, used to sleeping underneath a wagon when he has to, says it's not bad. Although he hated living and working in Winoka, Caroline is hurt that something they took pride in is now so neglected. Talk about can't let go. Charles tells her to go check the kitchen, and if it bothers her, she should stay and clean it up. She responds by tossing the rag she's been using to dust into his face. Cut to later that day, um, Charles and Caroline have finally made it over to the school for the blind. It's really dark. We also get some sort of notification that Standish is still in town because of his dairy wagon out making deliveries. Inside, while everyone is getting caught up, Charles mentions how he'll be called a grandpa soon. Adam then inquires, out of all the girls, which one of them gave them the most amount of trouble? They look at one another and in unison say, Carrie. Just kidding. Only Charles says Carrie. He mentions having to pull her out of the creek many times. 
but no mention having to dig her out of an air shaft and avoiding a collapsing mine or hot air balloon. Caroline says Mary, because she has a thing for fire. At this time, we get a mention of living back in the big woods and a story of how Mary, one time, went out in the middle of a snowstorm. And after spending a great deal of time looking for Mary outside, Charles and Caroline found her inside, face covered with jam, by the fire. As the two of them are sharing this story with Adam, the camera focuses on Mary, who is very much looking distracted. When Mary is brought back into the conversation, she confesses that she's going to head to her room. She's feeling tired. Caroline agrees with her, she does look tired, and excuses it by saying it must be from all the excitement from today. Charles and Caroline head out, Adam locks up, and checks in with Mary to see if she is alright. She assures him that she is, it's not 100%, and Adam then heads upstairs to check on the children. Mary, alone in the hallway, heads to her room. The story from earlier about her being lost in the woods echoes in her head. We cut to Charles and Caroline in bed. The saloon must be rebuilt. There's honky-tonk music being played. As Charles sits up reading his Bible, Caroline lies there in bed, claiming she knows there's something troubling Mary. Call it a mother's intuition. Next day, we see Charles and Caroline walking down the streets of Winoka. Charles splits off and heads towards the church, and Caroline continues to the school for the blind with a present package. We find ourselves at Mary's room. There's a knock at the door. Caroline enters and begins to unwrap the package she has brought. At the same time, Mary is explaining that tomorrow there's a picnic that has been planned by the student body of the School for the Blind. After the package is open, Caroline announces she has something for Mary. Impatient and apparently not liking surprises, she demands to be told what it is. Caroline tells her daughter to stand up and I'll hold it up against you. And for some reason, the big thing that I notice in this scene is Mary's fingernails. They look acrylic. P.S. The dress is Caroline's wedding dress. Gown. She inquires to Mary, What did you think you were going to wear? At this point, Mary starts to cry. And no, they aren't tears of joy. As Caroline tries to get some sort of answer out of Mary, Mary confesses that it's difficult to explain what she's feeling. Caroline inquires, has she even tried to discuss her feelings with Adam? Mary says no, because she doesn't want to hurt him. Caroline, how can discussing problems with someone you love hurt them? And poof, magically, Mary does a 180. You're right! And announces she'll have this discussion with Adam later this evening. Caroline, let's try on this dress. P.S. I'm not believing Mary's alright. Later that evening, Adam heads into Mary's room and announces all the kids are in bed. Which is funny because there's plenty of light coming in from the window. He's at first greeted with silence, before Mary then makes it known that she's also in the room. Mary then tries to begin a discussion about what has been on her mind. But she hesitates. Adam, you can talk to me. What is it? Are you having second thoughts? You'd have to be blind not to want to marry a man like me. His words, not mine, and there is a big LOL from me on that. I love Adam. Adam approaches Mary and places his hand on her head. 
Mary gets up and moves away. You didn't know I was in the room. This is when Mary lets it be known that if they had a child, what if it ended up wandering away and getting into some sort of trouble? Adam, whoa, pump those brakes. We're not even married yet. Besides, we have 20 kids right now. Mary, getting into it. Yeah, who would never wander off by themselves because they can't see. But what about a child who can? Facing the hypothetical, Adam states they'll face that issue when they get there. But Mary, no, no. Then Mary says it. I don't want to marry you. Adam, you don't mean that. Mary, she's totally not sure if she means it, but she repeats the claim. Adam, upset. The day I went blind, I was afraid I couldn't handle new situations. Surprise, I'm here. Why? Because I want to do it. I want to try. And Mary, well, I can't. And I have to say, this is the first time I've been really annoyed by Mary. Adam tells Mary they'll just discuss this tomorrow. Mary, this is tomorrow. Adam turns and makes his way to the door, opens it, then slams it shut. That's all that parents ever want is a healthy child. And we can't be parents because the child might be healthy. Perhaps we should just pray for a blind child and not have to worry about it. Just as Adam is about to leave, he tells Mary not to tell the children about anything. They did plenty of preparation for their picnic, and he'd hate to spoil it for them. Mary, with noticeably thinned-out eyebrows, heads to the window and cries. We cut to Charles and Caroline's room. There's a knock at the door, and it's Adam. And Charles is getting all the hugs this episode. Cut to that picnic. Harmonica and hand clapping. Did you know in addition to the fiddle, DJ Ingalls can play the harmonica? The camera pans around the circle of children. They're all smiling, clapping their hands. Sue is there, but no Thomas. And I just have to say, this clapping is just like the end of Fagin. It goes on for way too long. As we see all the children smiling, all the adults, minus Charles, are not. Caroline is definitely uncomfortable and wants to talk to Mary, but gets up and leaves the circle instead. As Charles stops playing, Sue begs for him to play another song. Charles says he'll play more later, but for now, he'll have them play a game. We get a long take of Charles walking up a hill. I don't mind. It's a nice view. Charles and Caroline are discussing the situation. If only there was something we could do to get Mary to come to her senses. Charles claims this is the Mary they knew when she first went blind. She's inside herself and shut away from everyone. And that's when the conversation is interrupted by Hiyas and cattle mooing. Thank you, closed captions. A group of men are working on getting the cattle to safety. There is a sandstorm. I mean, there is a dust storm a-coming. And remember, listeners, people only use the uh when a real big storm is a-coming or a-brewing. Charles and Caroline rush back to the group, get everyone in the wagon, and we cut to Winoka. And it's, um, well, it's not a white out. It's more of a tan or beige out. You can't see anything. 
We see the wagon come into town. Barely. And the wagon stops in front of the school. And making a human chain, all the children eventually make it inside. Charles announces that he's off to take the horse team to the library. And inside the school for the blind, it doesn't look as though anyone has closed any windows. And Mr. Ames is there helping the kids out and taking attendance. However, Susan Goodland is not present. And that's when the window in the front room smashes in. Adam jumps into action, heading outside. Mary follows, as does Caroline. And whew, just like Dorothy Gale from Kansas, Caroline gets knocked upside the head by a piece of flying debris. And she goes down. Adam finds her and does call for Mr. Ames. Even though he could have easily done the same job as Mr. Ames is doing, taking her inside. But now it's just Adam and Mary, living out Mary's nightmare, lost out in the elements, trying to find a child. However, all of a sudden, Mary has grown a pair. The children are my responsibility too, she responds when Adam tells her to simply wait and tend to Caroline. We get a shot of Adam and Mary moving around Winoka, looking for Susan. And between those cries for Susan, we get sounds of glass breaking and coughing. Again, I don't know why, but Mary's fingernails are really distracting. They look like French tip. And this is when Mary blurts it out. We're never going to find her. And Adam, that's the difference between us. If there is something I have to do, I do it. I don't give up. Mary, um, I don't either. They continue. Charles has finally made his way back to the school for the blind and is informed about Caroline's condition. Upon finding her, she says it's just a shallow wound, even though there's a lot of blood. But she tells Charles about Adam and Mary out in the storm looking for Susan. Without hesitation, Charles heads back out into the storm. As Mary and Adam continue to navigate through the dust, the closed captions say, Susan, faintly, I'm here, which I didn't even hear that, but Mary did. And lo and behold, is it just coincidence? They end up at Albert's old place under the dock. Susan, who I don't even know how she managed to get underneath the dock, is clinging to a post for dear life and repeating the phrase, I'm here. Mary crawls over, grabs a hold of her, and embraces her and lets her know, it's all right, I'm here with you now, it's all right. And Susan is losing it. And Mary, with her big girl bonded on, acting all maternal and in the moment, she understands what Adam meant by not giving up. She tells Susan, I'm here because I would not give up. She continues by letting Susan know all a body has to do is set their mind to something and do it. She continues to comfort Susan, and in this moment, as she's holding Susan tightly, she inquires to her if Susan would like to be her flower girl. Turning over to Adam, as long as it's all right with you, Adam says yes, and I kid you not, Mary tosses that kid to the side and her and Adam are sucking face, as well as exchanging I love yous. Charles, meanwhile, is outside, 
also just around the corner from Albert's old place. He's yelling for Mary, as well as Adam. And that's when Mary can be heard yelling for him. Adam yells out the directions they're under the loading dock, and making his way under there, Charles is greeted by a scene of Susan covering her mouth with her hands, and Adam and Mary continuing to suck face. They take a quick break to let Charles know that everything is fine, and then they return to tonsil hockey. Charles inquires if they want help getting back to the school. Adam, oh, there's a bed there. Just kidding. They accept the offer and make their way back. In the aftermath of the storm, ooh, this is the emptiest we've ever seen Winoka. The streets are torn up. Inside the school for the blind, Charles is in a suit. And I think it's the first time he's been in one. There's no tie and the top buttons are unbuttoned. It's hot. Him, along with Mr. Ames and Reverend Corliss, are setting up for the wedding. Chairs, dusting those chairs as well as they can in the situation. As Mr. Ames heads out to gather a few more chairs, Charles mentions how it's unlikely Reverend Alden is going to make it for the ceremony. And giving him the benefit of the doubt, Reverend Corliss insists that they wait just a little longer. However, since it was a surprise, and Mary would be none the wiser if Reverend Alden didn't show up, Charles insists they do move forward with the wedding ceremony. Inside Mary's room, Caroline is dusting Mary in her wedding dress with a bouquet of prairie flowers and baby's breath in her hair. I didn't mention it earlier, but this is not a white wedding dress. It's more of a periwinkle or forget-me-not. Mary makes a lighthearted joke. Caroline announces how happy she is to have Mary back. Charles comes into the room to let them know that they are ready. Caroline leaves and Charles, ready to walk his daughter down the aisle, yells for Susan. Susan leads the way and uh, guess who's here now? Thomas, and he is playing the accordion. It's pretty much a traditional standard wedding with their vows. And um, just as Reverend Corliss is getting past the reason we have gathered here today, in the background, Reverend Alden shows up. And spotting somebody who is wearing the identical outfit that he is wearing, Reverend Corliss continues. And just as he finishes one sentence, Reverend Alden takes over. That's a nice transition. And for Mary, it's a nice surprise. And with dirt on his face and making his way up to the front of the room, I will confess, that got to me. That was really sweet. And as Reverend Alden conducts the vows, we get a shot of a rapid eye-blinking Charles and Caroline. More words are exchanged, and then finally, Mr. Ames hands the ring to Adam. And as he holds that ring over that finger, uh, they're not French tip. They're just long and glossy. But like I said, for some reason, Mary's fingernails are really distracting. And it's only been a few minutes, but it seems like an eternity. The wedding is finally over. And uh, actually, so is the episode. Fade to black. Wow, can you believe how fast that recap went? And it was a pretty exciting episode, too. 
Of course, we did have a lot of time spent wandering around in that dust storm. That filled up a lot of time. And the wedding, nothing unusual about that. So not a lot of detail required for that scene either. I was, of course, interested uh, about information about sandstorms, dust storms. However, it does seem as though they are a pretty common occurrence, uh, so it didn't pique my interest too much after that. But I will say, one of the best sandstorms, dust storms, other than the one I've included on the Spotify playlist this week, is the storm scene in Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, and also, if you needed a reminder, real-life Mary Ingalls was never married. So let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. Aside from the major hiccup in the natural order of time, bear with me. Again, everyone left Winoka to return to Walnut Grove on the 4th of July. And after arriving, not only did they help rebuild the town, they raised a calf for competition as well as had a whole issue with the newspaper. And we are told that, one, the marriage ceremony takes place on August 15th, which is three weeks away from the starting of the episode. And we're informed later, if Charles and Caroline were to travel by wagon, they would not make it in time. So if that's the case, they left Winoka 4th July, got to Walnut Grove, immediately got Mary's invitation for the wedding, and had to turn right back. <sighs> Or has it really been an entire year now? Which means Mary's now 17. So yeah, she better get married now. However, aside from that hiccup, the best thing about this episode is its continuity. Mary's a grown woman living on her own out in Winoka. She has a job slash career. She's got a man, a place in the city. Not entirely sure how well her job pays, but Mary's doing well. So yeah, Possibly now being 17, matrimony is possibly one of those things on her mind. So, of course, I immediately think this is the date that John Jr. was waiting for two years ago. But we all know, not really. I also really loved the shout-out to the old life in the big woods. <sighs> Prequel series. Ooh, before Laura. That, of course, being our catalyst that leads to Mary's doubts. And her doubts, of course, are not even about her marriage, but what comes after the marriage. The family. And making a family. You know, truth be told, after the Wolves episode, I don't think Mary was ever interested in having kids. When we had Baby Grace, version 1, and Be My Friend, I don't think Mary was in any scenes with the baby. Okay, maybe one. And even then, she wasn't minding to it. And although Baby Grace, version 2, showed up very shortly afterwards, her time together with Mary was also pretty non-existent on screen. So it shouldn't seem out of left field when all of a sudden, Mary hearing a story about herself as a child does cause some doubts into herself. She's just finally adjusted to being a person who can function in the world as a blind person. She hasn't even thought about children in this aspect which is totally valid. Heck, it took Caroline nearly four seasons to deal with all the grief when they lost baby Charles. Meanwhile, Charles, hashtag too soon, is right on that call for grandkids. And Adam, as we learn, he's ready to jump in feet first into any new situation when he has to. 
and this episode did catch me off guard. Of course, having a story about the big woods being lost in a storm of some sorts would then lead us to having our own storm in Winoka. Talk about being caught off guard and also being caught off guard. It's Little House. You totally know that Reverend Alton was going to make it at the end for the wedding, but still, it did surprise me and pulled at my heart. I only find it a little unusual that Mr. Olson refers to Mary as his pet and wants to gift a music box of sorts to Mary. He claims since the first day Mary stepped into the store, he's always had a place in his heart for good-natured Mary. I guess it's because the other blonde in his life is just the exact opposite. And although I don't recall too much interaction and hugging between the two of them, way back in the Aftermath episode, after Mary has been taken hostage by the James brothers and Jonathan Garvey shares the news with the men inside the church, Mr. Olson is the first one up out of his seat to tell Mr. Ford to keep his mouth shut and keep Mary safe. So who knows, maybe they have been laying down the groundwork for that relationship unknowingly for quite some time. But it's now about time for this week's Little House Moment. And it goes to the rescue of Susan Goodspeed. Right off the bat, I enjoyed this young actress's performance in this scene. Found clinging to that pillar under the deck in her confession of her fears to Mary. Susan is amazing. But of course, after her amazing essay back in The Man Inside, we shouldn't expect anything less. Susan slash Sue Goodspeed, you've already had two episodes where you are speaking quite a bit. I hope we get more. And let's finally get to rating this episode. Again, aside from the slight time discrepancy in the beginning, this episode is pretty solid. It's funny to think that the continuity is both the pro and con of this episode. By giving us dates and time frames, we can kind of figure out what month year they are in, which again, are we still in the summer of 1880? Or are we in the summer of 1881? But having Mary's story still continue, even though she's no longer in Walnut Grove. So for the time being, we just will continue to receive these one-off episodes of what's been happening in Mary's life. And I'll tell you one thing that's happening in Mary's life. She's been learning how to suck face like a pro. Those two under the deck at the end of the episode. And either they are very quiet, the storm is too loud, or Susan does not know the sound of people kissing. Unlike Thomas. Overall, this is a really just kind of a straightforward episode. Parents come to town for wedding. That was inevitable. Bride or groom goes through some doubts. Something happens. And in the end, everything gets pulled together and we have a happy ending. I mean, some movies that come to mind. The Graduate, Kill Bill, Bridesmaids. The weddings involved had a slight hiccup. But in the end, everything worked out. This episode was pure saccharine. So that is why we are going to give The Wedding a 4.75 bonnet rating. Very sweet. And what does Little House on the Prairie have against time? But still loved it. 
And those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And of course, as always, I would love to hear any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and at Instagram. Again, a nice reminder from Plum Creek with Love is now available on nine different platforms. So Plum Creek with Love is now easier to find. I am familiar, of course, that Apple Podcast has a rating and review system. You might have heard me talk about it, as well as Spotify. However, some of these other platforms, I'm not entirely sure. But if they do, and you're listening on them, feel free, of course, to leave a rating and review there. For some reason, this season also seems to be bringing out a lot more songs per episode for that Spotify playlist. And if I could have one word to describe the playlist that I have compiled over these seasons, random. It is such an eclectic mix of songs. If you're checking that out, hope you're enjoying it. And yes, I am rambling because as I have mentioned, the recap was rather short. And this is not even the second half of a two-part episode. So, a shorter episode than usual. But that's okay, because we have come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care. Take care.